everyone, and welcome to the American Scouser Podcast. I am your host, Timuchin, in sticky and hot Chicago. And joining me is our regular crew today. We have Paul Bickler joining us from North Carolina. Paul, what's happening? Uh, we have exactly the same weather here, but that's normal. Yeah, unfortunately, it is kind of normal here too, but it kind of it still sucks regardless. So, uh, yeah. And we have Chris Galley joining us as well. How's it going there? Uh, it's good. It stopped raining finally up here in the Northeast, but now we're getting uh, the remembrance of the uh, wildfires and we have hazy skies and muggy days. It's it's an awful weather summer, I'll tell you that. You know, like sometimes like when it's like really bad and humid and you'll be like, man, if it rains, it, we need a rain so it will get better. And then it rains and it gets somehow freaking worse. I'm like, how the hell did that happen? But hey, what are you going to do? But as we wait for Liverpool to make signings if that day ever comes while we wait for the people to leave. Last week, we talked a lot about, you know, who we expected to leave and how much we kind of like were looking for them. Uh, heck, we thought Bickler was asking for a lot for Wilson. Apparently, you and I were asking a lot to Yali for him because uh, we only ended up with like the 12. But uh, I want to kind of start with this first because it has kind of like generated a lot of discussion throughout the week is genius statements about uh, his interaction with fans, mainly over the social media. And so I kind of want to get your guys' take on this. And he did not, let's get the, let the record straight before we even start discussing. He did not come out and say, I left Liverpool because people were talking smack on social media. But my personal take was that almost semi implies that even if you're not saying that or why even bring it up, except we do not know if he was specifically asked about, you know, social media interaction with fans and what he thinks and stuff like that. And he was answering that and whoever was doing the interview kind of took that and passed it on to us. So we talk about it because otherwise let's face it, we wouldn't probably talk as much about it, but Paul, let's start with you. What is your take on that whole spiel? Well, I mean, I think you kind of nailed it. We don't know what the context is, right? Especially because it's coming from the echo, which has been notoriously bad lately about just stirring the pot. So um, that's kind of the, that's kind of the kicker, uh, the wild card. Um, I think the only thing that annoyed me more than, hearing that from genie was the fan reaction because like you know we've had like two weeks of genie basically cryptically saying oh the truth's gonna come out as about why i left right and then the first thing he says is it wasn't about the money and then the next thing he says was well i didn't feel like i was always loved all the time and then the next thing he says is well i was loved by the players and the fans in the stadium so for me, it's like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Like, the timing is terrible. Like, if it's not the money and it's not your teammates, then you're leading everybody to believe that it has something to do with the fact that you didn't feel appreciated by people on social media, which to me is incredibly soft. Like, you, if you're a player of that level, the caliber at that club, you're going to get that no matter what. I can think of probably half of the starting lineup that probably gets more shit than Genie gets online. Like – is he misunderstood as a player? Probably. Yeah. I mean, he's not sexy. He doesn't load in a ton of goals from midfield, which he likes to do. He likes to, to be the goal scorer. He likes to be the guy. 
And like for me, that was always the reason I thought Genie wanted out was I thought he wanted to be the guy in a in a system that played him more offensively, right? So like if that's the case, just go ahead and say that. There's nothing wrong with that. But what annoyed me more than the timing and the actual thing he said was just like this reaction from a lot of our fans online where we're like, oh, well, he has the right to say yada yada about social media. That's a real issue. Well, of course it's a real issue. Of course it is. But like, is it a real, like, are we talking about Genie or is this just an opportunity for everybody to get out of soapbox? Because that's what it feels like for me. It feels like it's an opportunity for certain fans to make it about themselves and to get on there and be a social justice warrior about an issue, which is widely accepted as shitty. Like, we don't need people coming on telling us that. So, like, yeah, I'm irritated about the whole thing, man, which doesn't surprise anybody. I'm a grumpy bastard, right? <laughs> but I'm irritated about Jeannie saying it and the timing of it, like, especially on the week of him saying, like, oh, I'm going to tell you what it is. And then this comes out. So, of course, we think that's what it is. And I'm irritated about people taking it up as an opportunity to get on their soapbox because nobody fucking cares. Like everybody gets it, dude. Everybody gets that social media is a gutter. Like we don't need like this whole, like, Oh, like Jeannie, Jeannie's making a really good point. Like he's not making a point that none of us already knew already. Um, and then I'm just going to sit quietly and drink beer and let you guys hash that out. And it did not sound like, I mean, just reading his code and stuff, it did not sound like he was necessarily abused and stuff. I mean, I think it's very clear that none of us, you know, appreciate or condone anybody, you know, harassing people over social media, threatening and stuff like that, you know, bringing racial issues, insulting, all that kind of stuff, their families and all that. But it almost sounded like he's talking about like not being loved a lot. Like they were like, I going to like, play better or, you know, <laughs> and it's like, I just, I like, I just can't, I can't even roll my eyes hard enough. They get stuck in the back of my head. It's like, I mean, everybody, if you have followers, I mean, with the number of followers we have, there's always people who heckle or people who kind of like, you know, don't agree or don't like it. It is part of the deal. And you would think he is not a guy. He's not Elliot's. He just didn't become like a major household name or anything. The guy has been playing forever. I thought it would be just totally okay for him to say, hey, you know what? I love the club. I love the players. I like the fans. It's just that, you know, with my age, it's kind of like, you know, this is probably the last contract I can cash in it. I got to think of my family, my future. I want everything over here. I want a new challenge as opposed to coming up with this. I mean, that's the thing that kind of probably rubbed me the wrong way. Don't kind of like dump it on the people like, you know, Johnny XZB112 told me I sucked on, you know, February 13. So that's why I'm going to Paris kind of thing. It just does not make sense. But so Gally, what is your take on that? Yeah. So I, I mean, obviously it's easy to come after. It's easy to come after Paul on that one and say that I'm coming in a little bit on the neutral side, I guess, because he clearly gave us his side and I, and I don't agree. I don't disagree with much of what you said, Paul. What really bothered me was the fans reaction as if, we are owed something from this that like we have to now bow down and just agree with a ex player. And unfortunately that's what Cheney Wijnaldum is. He plays for another club. Now he plays at PSG. His interests are at PSG as they should be. And that's what all these comments were to me. They all felt like they were just an open way to one kind of close the door on his, on his prior employer. And at the same time, ingratiate himself to his new fan base. 
if they have a fan base, all 550 people that show up to games. But, you know, what he's trying to do is make sure that everyone understands that he does need to be loved. Because I think he is a little bit of a soft player. There's no other reason to bring up social media when talking about exiting a club you played at for over five years. And let's just be real. If he signed a moderate contract, he'd still be a Liverpool player because the manager wanted him at the club and the owners didn't mind him being there. But he wanted to maximize his earnings, which he has all the right in the world to do. And it didn't work out for him because he wanted to stay at Liverpool. And that's the thing that part gets me is if we offer the same contract, he was probably staying. He wasn't going to be like, oh, about the fans on social media, I just can't take it anymore and leave. It was basically the contract, the money, the length of contract, whatever it was. We just were not going to give him the same money and everything, wages and stuff like that, that, you know, PSG will, that, you know, they tend to throw out to more players than we do. And that's the, and there is nothing freaking wrong with that. I don't think anybody would say, oh, that's be, I mean, I, I, let me correct that. There are people who say, oh, yeah, because he can't pay his, you know, uh, pay his rent with the money he makes here. Shut the hell up. I mean, if you got an opportunity to make twice as much or whatever at a different job, you're going to take that job. So don't act like he owes something to the fans and he's going to take less money just to stay and stuff like that. Another part of this whole deal is when it came out, how some people... I understand what, you know, uh, Paul is saying about, like, the soapbox. And that that is kind of, like, annoying because... I think we all understand that, but that was not the issue here. He did not even mention, like, you know, being, like, harassed or anything. It was more like he didn't feel the love, which really sounds very insecure, first of all. But flip side of that is some people thinking that somehow Liverpool fans will be above that. Have you been to social media? I mean, I find it ironic that people were commenting in, you know, like social media saying, oh, I don't see like a real Liverpool fan doing that and stuff like that. And it's just like, dude, do you ever scroll down? Because there's a ton of people. I mean, let's not just make all the fans, all Liverpool fans, angels, but every fan base, well, neither are the PSG fans. I'm sure there are jerks right there putting comments like we should have never signed you, blah, blah, blah. So, so what do you make of that? I mean, Paul, I mean, why that naive approach that people think, you know, Liverpool fan base, every fan base has a certain percentage who are just freaking assholes. Cause it's, you know, they're made up of humans and a certain percentages are assholes. The percentage might change from club to club, but you're going to have some percentage that just not going to be, you know, that's just going to be out of whack. What's the question? Why do we have asshole fans? Why you, No, why do we, like, why do some people even assume that that is not the case? And, you know, we wouldn't have fans that would do that. I mean, I saw literally posts saying. Oh, well, I, yeah, I think, I think there's, I think there's a particular problem with Liverpool supporters. And if you look at like the main thing that people make fun of Liverpool supporters about, it's the fact that they have this sense of entitlement about how great they are because they're real fans and they're really passionate and, you know, they're local and all that stuff. I think there is a sense of entitlement that gets projected out. Right. So I think that that, that is a real issue, but I mean, I think you can say that about a handful of clubs, right? Um, I mean, clubs that are very prideful about their past and their history. Right. I think that gets magnified because up until the last couple of years, Liverpool hadn't won anything in a long time. So I think that got magnified. Um, I think my problem with 
situation in general is that like I find Gene's response very uh, disingenuous. Like he says, it's not about the money. And like, for me, it was a hundred percent about the money. Like you got underpaid for five years, dude, you made $75,000 when the majority of the starters were well over a hundred thousand dollars. He played like 90% of available matches. Like, and for me, does he have a right to be like bent out of shape about that? 100%. But if you're not going to come out and say, you know, the club did me dirty, keep your mouth shut and move on. Right. Say like, you know, I wanted a new experience. I wanted a, a new chapter in my life. I was ready for like the, the closing chapter of my career and a new adventure. And like, I had an opportunity and leave it at that. If you're not going to come out and say, Hey man, like I felt like I was underpaid and overutilized in, in, in made less money than a lot of people on, on the club. And like, you know, I'm going to go to PSG and make over twice what I made. Um, and part of that I put on, I put that responsibility on his response as being a little bit disingenuous. Um, and I also put that on his agent. I think two or three years ago, Jeannie should have pushed for an extension, you know, and maybe he did. Maybe he pushed for an extension in the club, like basically didn't make that a priority. Because if you look at the club now, he probably looks at this and knows he's not starting over Thiago, Hendo and Fat, right? So he knows he's not going to start over those three. So why would you not push for somewhere where you're going to start and make double the money? But don't come out and say the first thing you say out of your mouth is it's not about the money. That makes me know that it is about the money when that's the first thing you say. And that's my problem with it. Like, I love Genie as a player. I did think he was underappreciated. But the, the whole thing leaves a really sour taste in my mouth when I don't think that you're being honest and I don't think that you're shooting straight with people. And I think that you're scapegoating a section of the fan base. Like, I don't like that. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I don't think any player in our midfield, maybe Fab being the exception, gets appreciated, right? I mean, even Hendo, for people still do not appreciate Hendo, dude who, you know, player of the year and everything. Still, people think, oh, he's not good enough for this and stuff like that, despite what they do. Because I don't think people appreciate some of the stuff that midfield players do. They just look at the number of goals scored and assists, and that's it. And they don't realize they're doing the hard work. So, you know, Robo and Trent can get those assists and push up and stuff like that. But that's, you know, uh, that's for the entire midfield, I think. Yeah, I mean, if he came out and said money, like I say, I, I don't think I would not have a problem. I don't think most of the fans would have a problem. If anything, I thought the fans would have a, you know, yet another opportunity to get go FSG out. Why didn't they give him the money he wants and stuff like that? But I think because our midfield players overall are not appreciated, Nobody kind of really, uh, you know, maybe that's what he's talking about. Nobody really stood up for Genie and said, hey, you know, why are you guys letting the sky go? What do you think, Alec? Well, I mean, I think the, the original point was whether or not Liverpool supporters can be assholes. The answer is clearly there might be three of them on this call. But <laughs> when it really comes down to it and we think about it, the the idea that a guy could get run out of town because of social media comments or booze in a stadium. It has nothing to do with it. Paul's right. It's all about money. You know, follow the money, stupid. That's usually the adage, right? If you follow the money, you find the answer. At the end of the day, the guy wanted to be paid. And the same people who are screaming that he should have been paid would be yelling bloody murder two and a half years from now, if he was on $220,000 a week and he couldn't get anywhere near the first team and he was just rolling up at, at training every day, right? 
kicking balls and 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 patting the the newest 19 year old who rolls through you know being the james milner the practice squad and everyone would be going crazy and he'd still be the great genie with a great smile and big choppers and everyone would be laughing and giggling and he'd be doing instagram pictures for everybody and it'd be great but he'd be a guy that'd be a drain on the on the wage structure which is why they wouldn't offer him a contract and people can hate fsg all day all day for this but they've developed a model that allows them to spend within their means and keep high-level talent making money. And they're going to have to explode with Mo because I think they do want to re-up because they know the pipe dream of getting Mbappe isn't happening now. And the plan is is to reinvest with Mo and, and get some young players and build around him, which I'm all for. And he'll go up to 325 or 350 a week, and it'll blow out the current structure. But to sign Genie, they would have had to pay him equal to Tiago, who's the highest earner on the books. There's no way that was going to happen ever. And it shouldn't happen because, as Paul said, Genie wasn't slotted to be a starter next year. And we've already seen he's moving uh, Elliot into the midfield to get him minutes and give the creative spark. We're going to see more from Curtis Jones. And I think Naby has one last shot at, at giving a run at a Liverpool side. So I, I don't think there was any room for him anymore at the money he wanted to make. And it's good for everyone. Just don't blame social media for the reason, you know, you'll win the French title and cry when you get knocked out of Champions League. I think, like I say, it might be where they said, hey, did you feel the love from the fans? And he was like, oh, definitely in the fan, you know, but sometimes on social media, not so much. And then kind of like Paul was saying, and I blame lack of signings or lack of happenings, I guess, for this, where they got to come up with some news. And uh, they've been able to convert that interview into like two, three different articles over this past week. Uh, just kind of like giving out different blurbs as they go just to make some news. But the main news, I guess, so far has been sales. Uh, we're hoping that's kind of like, you know, putting the money together for some signings. I don't know if, if that's going to happen or when that's going to happen uh, out of the sales. And we kind of like talked about them and most of them we were expecting anyway. But anything that you're shocked about, really, Paul, I know now like the next talk is, you know, Shakiri being out of the way. But any any of those news that really shock you in terms of amounts well or... i mean i know i know you guys aren't and i got a bunch of guff from you guys but i am shocked that harry wilson went that low especially after his season last year um but um i mean i think we're gonna see that right i think shaq's gonna go to lazio from less than i thought he should go i mean essentially what we paid for him three years ago so we're gonna just basically make money back with no inflation on him um in like I think at this point, we're just clearing room on the books. You know what I mean? Uh, I think we're just kind of kind of trying to clear out some dead wood, uh, get the homegrown numbers in line with the rest of the squad, and then um, have cash to play with. Um, I do expect some signings. However, I would not be shocked if this was a move towards a bigger signing next window, which I know excites you because you have your, like, Killian Mbappe poster hanging behind your head. Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, I don't have that crazy of a dreams, really. I do hope something major happens. I feel like I would rather have one or two key signings as opposed to, you know, 
adding like depth or something like that. Somebody who actually has a chance of starting or at least being a regular part of the rotation as opposed to, you know, oh, we're looking ahead for the future. You know, got this 22-year-old winger that, you know, we had not heard of my baby day scouted and stuff like that. But, um, Gally, anything shock you? I mean, like I say, it definitely went lower. I mean, I guess for Wilson, that kind of says nobody in the Premier League was that interested and there's only so much a championship team can give him. Well, I think we we kind of – I'm going to make – I made that comment in one of our chats earlier in the week when it happened. I I think the idea is, is and I agree with Paul, he had a great year in the championship and he's had other great years in the championship. The year he was on loan at Bournemouth, he was hot and cold. He had moments, but his pace just keeps coming back to haunt him. And, you know, unless a team is playing a really slow and methodical way, even the Wales team, he, he can't get into that side and they could use a creative midfielder even when Brooks was out injured uh, earlier this year. And I, I just think that he's kind of growing into the player that he is, which might be a really, really good championship level player. And maybe he'll prove himself to be a Premier League player eventually, but Champions League championship level players don't go for much more than 10 to 15 million pounds. And he hasn't proven much more than that. So if we get that in a sell-on clause, I think the fact that we need money and let's be real, the fact that Michael Edwards has fleeced people on deals like Bournemouth with Solanke and Ibe and other players that they've sold at high profits that people just kind of laugh at after the fact. It's one of those things that when you make too many good deals, I think eventually people start working backwards and making sure that they try to negotiate back because they know they're probably going to lose in the long run. I mean, I do like the sell-on clauses that we put. I mean, obviously, it still makes us money down the road. And if something happens, it's like a good insurance policy, too. If, you know, we were wrong on our young player or missed out on the potential and stuff like that. But, yeah, let's just hope that, you know, this money coming in is kind of converted into a signing. I mean, obviously, we had some depth and, I guess, like Deadwood that we had to get rid of. But it would be definitely nice to get some, like, improvements or people who can actually have a chance in getting in a – regular rotation so let's kind of like talk about that a little bit uh obviously we got a preseason game coming in this week against hertha and then uh this over the weekend on sunday as the, as well against athletic club uh, i don't know paul i don't know if you got a chance to watch the game or the highlights against mines if you did or if you didn't what do you make of some of these preseason games obviously it's all about rotation and getting kind of getting back into the groove of kicking the ball around, but uh, kind of like, what did you make of it? Yeah. So like last year, I really followed preseason and probably put too much stock into it. So this year I've just been kind of like, I have been paying attention, but not necessarily like, you know, living and breathing it and following every single minute of it. Uh, but like, you know, there are some very promising things, right? Like Nabby looks really good. Um, you know, our Greek left back that, you know, nobody knew for sure if was even on the team anymore. It's, looks pretty good. So that stuff is encouraging, right? I mean, cause Robo's going to need, like we need to have him rested at least some. Um, I think Ox looks really good in a false nine, you know, which a lot of people have split opinions on, but I think that's a very interesting development in the team. Um, Harvey in the midfield's interesting. Cause you know, we've only seen him on top. 
so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of interesting things. Kanate looks really solid. Um, you know, that Kanate Matip partnership is going to be very interesting because I think that's going to be our opening day uh, partnership for a little bit, and, and even even into the following weeks, probably until we see for sure what happens with Gomez and Verge. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's lots of really cool stories kind of developing here, right? So I mean, I don't think there was anybody that necessarily played poor enough to put themselves out of the picture. You know, that we didn't expect to be on a fringe player anyway. I think I think one to watch that's going to be very interesting is to see what happens with with Taki, right? Because he's he's uh, done pretty well in training, but he's been on the fringe for a long time, and people really don't know what to expect with that situation. And that's the thing. I think I almost feel like some of these preseason games are more for us than them. I feel like they probably see a lot more during their practices, you know, scrimmages, the drills, and all that kind of stuff, as opposed to you know us watching them for 30 or 45 minutes and saying, Oh yeah, yeah. He, look at him. You know, he'll be the one because I, and I, you know, I saw this a lot with Wilson, especially that a lot of people were saying like they, he didn't get as much opportunity and stuff like that. But I mean, a, I think he did uh, B even if not in Liverpool, he got a lot of chances to show himself on different teams, you know, like getting those loans and like you say, I think the, you know, Klopp and the assistants see a lot more during practice than actually the game that we watch as a preseason. I don't know how much stock goes into that. I mean, what's your take, Gally? Like when you look at a game like that, uh, like the Mines game, and then, you know, like obviously Hertha coming up this week. Uh, I mean, are you looking for anything specific or what do you look for? I mean, I look for players to get through whatever amount of time they're put out on the pitch to get through their paces and come off healthy with no injuries and ready to play in the next match because it's preseason game. That's what it is. It's training. Um, it's job to get, you know, the legs right. I've been encouraged what I've seen so far. If I took one thing, it was that uh, the first game where they had the split 30 and 30 that, Taki and Arigi were basically playing with the junior kids that came to Austria and everybody else was playing with a side that looked like they were either first team players or alternates. Um, you know, Paul mentioned Oxley Chamberlain lined up inside Mane and Sala in a false nine, instead of putting Taki or Arigi in that lineup as you would, if you thought they were going to be around in my opinion, when the games mattered. Um, I think both guys are on borrowed time. I think Rigi will be sold if they can find a buyer. And I think that Taki will probably go out on loan again, uh, purely because they hope to get a better profit for him. I would love to see him get a shot to run with the talent and see him through this team. But I just think Jurgen's seen him now for 18 months, let him go out on loan, brought him back another camp. If he doesn't make it after this, it's probably it for him. But the interesting thing for me was I thought that Chamberlain looked good in the first performance. I thought he was awful against Mainz. Um, he looked slow. He looked off the pace. He was he, he was kind of dropping off. He didn't look like he understood where to be as a false nine when the ball got into the final third. And I'd question right now if Harvey Elliott and Jones are moving into the midfield along with Keita, Tiago, Henderson, Fabinho, and Milner, exactly where is Ox's job if he's not a false nine, fifth or sixth option up front? 
See, I think when we talked about it last week, I, I know you mentioned that you actually liked Ox on the outside as a winger. I personally feel like he kind of gets lost out there. Um, I mean, that that's why I thought when I heard about like the false nine roll for him, I was kind of intrigued because he can do those, you know, uh, the intricate passing and stuff like that, that they do uh, with the upfront three. Uh, he has the pace. He has that threats of when he's coming with the ball you cannot necessarily back off of him because he if he has space he's a player who can take a shot i think that's one threat that bobby doesn't bring if he's coming with the ball i think if i'm a defender and if i watch Liverpool all these years i know bobby's either gonna look to get past me or he's gonna pass the ball he's not gonna crank a shot from outside the box so it's a bit better to kind of like almost like contain uh, and then, you know, uh, force him to pass than anything else. I feel like Ox brings that threat as well. So I thought that was kind of like a good idea to utilize him as opposed to being on the wing. And I think kind of goes back to what you're saying, Ali. I think because the old, like the midfield is so crowded, it's almost good to take Ox out of there in some ways and give him a role more on top, up top because he might not get as many minutes in midfield. What do you think of that setup, Paul? I mean, I like it. It's proven like we saw it towards the end of last season. And I at first was like, mm, I don't know about that. Right. But like the more that I think about it, the more that like, if you look at vintage Ox pre-injury and Ox at his best, I think he's this weird combination uh, Firmino's creativity and vision and passing, which I think is underrated for him. Like, I think he has that, that vision, the creativity, the ability to distribute like Firmino has, and that ability to be direct in attack like we see from Jota. The ability to, to, to take people off the dribble, that direct attack that we don't necessarily see all the time from Bobby. So I think he's a really interesting combination of two players that we know quite well, right? Uh, but we don't haven't necessarily seen a whole lot of that from Ox. So I think it's a very interesting alternative and prospect going into the season. I'm actually looking really forward to see what happens with it. Yeah, like I say, I think it can be really good and it's worth definitely a shot. Uh, anything else, Gally? I mean, uh, Paul talked about like the center back pairing and I do agree that's probably the most likely center back duo to start. I know, you know, Van Dyke is expected to play maybe possibly a few minutes in one of the free seasons this week coming up before our next podcast. So hopefully we'll get to see him in some action, even if it's like limited minutes. I personally have always thought, you know, Matip, uh, before Kanade, we haven't seen enough of him, but I always thought he was our second best center back. I kind of put him above Gomez just because of what he can do overall, uh, not maybe just defense and offensively, but as a group package, I thought he was better. So I actually kind of like that pairing. What do you think, Gally? Well, I'm comfortable with it as long as Joel can get through the 90 minutes and play the second week of the year. I mean, I love the guy. That's the problem, though. You you have to quantify when healthy. And anytime you have an athlete and you wrap them up in that, you know, in that sentiment that they have to be healthy to perform, it means you have to question it. And that goes for Joe Gomez as well. And I honestly am still holding out hope that Virgil plays Thursday, th Friday, he feels great. And by the 14th, 
Jurgen is able to play him. Because um, I think it would just set the, the sentiment and the temperament for the whole season to get back if if they could get out there in full force. Now, I don't want them to rush it, not one minute. So if it has to be Matip and Kanate on opening day, but I would have been just as happy at being Matip and Van Dyke on opening day because I think giving Kanate as much chance to bet in on his own and figure things out and get used to his teammates is what's best. But what I've seen so far is he is just an absolute young machine. He's athletic. And if there's one thing that is easy to do in the Premier League, it's play center back if you can outrun the front line of the other team. And he looks like he can outrun just about any front line, which is pretty amazing because he has a pretty good good one to compete with in training every day. Yeah, I mean, I, he's looks like a freaking beast and he has the speed to kind of like go with it. So I'm always like cautiously optimistic, uh, especially in like the preseason. So we kind of like see them in the Premier League action. And the same goes for the next guy I want to talk about is Navi. Man, because I feel like anytime I get tempted and excited, Paul knows this. It's because I'm kind of like a sort of nut. <laughs> I'm not very big on it because I feel like he just teases. And then you see him, you're like, dude, this is the time. This time he's back for good. And then, you know, by the 23rd minute, something happens and he's out like a muscle issue and stuff like that. I know you're excited, Paul, but how excited are you? Is this the year we see Nabi? Oh, my God. Hold on a second. I'm going to need a beer for this one. <laughs> uh, Nabby Nabs. I love Nabby. God, I hope he does it. I really do. I'm pulling for the dude. But um, I was in like a three-year-long abusive relationship with Daniel Sturridge. So like I, uh, I have learned all I need to learn about that. And I am just going to be thankful when it happens, but not hold my breath for it. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think I'm on the same way. Just cautiously optimistic. I mean, it would be... Huge. Some of the stuff he can do, it feels like none of our other midfielders can do. And if he's able to kind of stay healthy and bring those, especially when we play against teams that play that low block and we have like a difficulty opening them up and stuff like that. Some of the things he can do, especially with like if Thiago is in there, I mean, it should make life a lot easier and hopefully create like a lot more opportunities. But like I say, let's just wait and see. It would be nice to like watch him throughout the preseason and kind of like, you know, uh, finish out the preseason healthy and enter the season and we go from there. Okay, so before we kind of call the week, there is one topic that I kind of wanted to run by you guys because it came up uh, in a discussion online and actually on another podcast. So I kind of wanted to see what you guys think of it, if you guys think it's kind of like been ongoing or what. And that is diving in football. First thing I want to ask on that is, and let's start with you, Paul, because you played striker, right? So has diving in football, has it gotten worse or is it about the same and just technology exposes it more? Oh, geez, dude. I don't. How much did you dive? Let's I, ask. <laughs> I, I think, I, I mean, I think it depends, man, because like, I, I really feel like if you watch South American football, it's rampant. If you watch the Portuguese, it's rampant. Like, you know, like I think, 
You see it in the Premier League pretty consistently. Um, has it gotten worse? I don't know that it's gotten worse over the years. And, and I don't know, like to me, like it's always going to be an issue as long as the rewards outweigh the risk. I mean, as a striker, when I was in the box, if I didn't feel confident I was going to get a shot off and I felt contact, I was going down, you know, like I, I just was because like, in like, I'll be honest, we had a couple of major tournament uh, knockout legs in the finals that I went down and won penalties because I knew our penalty kick taker was an ace and he was going to knock it in. And like, I got a couple of calls that I probably had no business getting calls for, but you know, I knew that I was like, so me as a player, I was like a physical and pacey and sort of stocky player. And I knew that because of my height, I was a little bit undersized so that I could embellish a little bit when there was contact. Um, and I knew I could get away with that. And I knew that like the reward for that was pretty substantial. So like, to me, I don't think you're going to root it out of the game until you start seeing retroactive cards made for this stuff. And that's really difficult because when you slow-mo something down, it's very difficult to, to really see how much contact there is on stuff in, in certain situations. So I think it is difficult to see. I mean, there are certain instances where that's a clear dive. You know, I know that Timuchin would make the case that anytime Neymar has it, it's a, it's a clear dive, right? So, like, I think it's difficult, but, like, I think there's got to be a way to, 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 to go back and significantly hinder a team uh, and really hurt them for that, for, for it to ever be rooted out of the game. And I don't really know what the answer to that is. So for Neymar, that's a totally different category. I think that we probably can talk about sometime as well is more like the embellishing. I think he does get fouled, but that's what happens when you keep the ball on your feet and, try to make moves between three people, eventually somebody's going to come in and freaking like whack you. Cause I know I would, after you try to make like a couple of moves, I think with him, it's more the embellishments of the, you know, the, the kick or the hits or the injury or whatever. And it, I, I kind of like hate that. I mean, I hate Neymar first of all, but apart from that, I hate that concept because especially here in the U S when you talk soccer to anybody, that's what everybody talks about, right? And it's kind of hard thing to kind of combat, I should say, because when one of the top stars of your game is freaking known for it, I mean, clearly known for it, like, and, you know, has been a meme superstar about it, it's kind of hard to kind of say, oh, no, that doesn't happen, because, yeah, it does happen, but... So, Gally, let's go back to the diving first because the embellishing thing, I think, is even harder to kind of do something retroactively because, you know, anybody who's played knows sometimes something very minor can hurt like a bitch. And then sometimes something that looks really rough might not actually hurt that much because it did the shin guard or, you know, you kind of like rolled around and, you know, you're fine with it. Uh, so, Gally, how about you? Like, I, I don't think we ever talked about your playing days, I don't know if you still play and where you played, because I think the position makes a huge difference with this. All right, so first off, you talk Neymar, and all I can envision is him rolling on the ground again after the foul against Mexico, the guy walking by, not going near him, and then him grabbing him face and rolling the other way. It's <laughs> the queen, it is literally the quintessential moment of flopping and diving on the greatest stage and it basically lets you know why 
why we have the argument we do with so many American fans. That's one. There's my Neymar moment for the for the podcast. Two, uh, I was also a player who played up front uh, somewhere, either in a striking manner or in like a number 10 role off a striker. We didn't have a very sophisticated playing style when I was a kid here in uh, the mean streets of Western Massachusetts in the late 80s, early 90s. Uh, but we did play pretty well and we played competitively at a high level and I scored a few goals in my day and I enjoyed it. I was more of a poacher and the kid who wanted it more, um, you know, that got those goals. Would I go down to get a goal for my team in a heartbeat, in a moment, in a second? I wouldn't think about it twice. And I think that's the part of this that I never get, I never let get lost. I hate diving. And I think dives are terrible for the sport. But every time a player goes down and embellishes, gets a call, his manager thinks he did his job. And at the end of the day, his job is to score goals or put goals in the net. And I understand the whole ethics of the game and deceiving a referee. There is one thing from the flat out, you know, two foot, no contact, you'd throw yourself to the ground. And then there is the touch and go play that happens inside the box and players going down. Here's my problem. I actually think VAR has made it worse because they don't want to correct officials for making the wrong call and changing penalties that should be dies. They're also taking the onus out of the referee from making an actual critical decision with their eyes right in front of their face when it happens. Cause they know there's a video system in the background to correct them if they're wrong. And it was the same thing I thought happened in the NFL when they went back to replay on all these different plays. You, you take out the reason for the ref to make the right call in the right moment. And instead you give them this idea that there's a net to catch them and I think it makes everything worse. And it's, I know VAR is a whole nother topic for a different rabbit hole, but I think it hasn't helped diving. And I think people believe that VAR was going to be what was gonna eradicate diving because we were only gonna get real penalties and frauds were gonna be caught. And I don't think either have happened. It might've even gotten more money. I think for the refs, Sometimes, like people like Bickler, almost get that call a bit easier when you're the smaller guy, right? I mean, because when you're the bigger guy, I think you're kind of expected to, oh, come on, that was nothing. You're huge. You would not fall. I mean, as a little dude, I kind of, I'll admit, I took full advantage of that. And, you know, I mean, this is something I taught my daughters. I mean, you kind of, you know, you kind of put your body in between the ball and the guy. And then if the guy comes in, you fall and you fall on the ball. It's either a handball or the call goes your way. 99% of the time call, you know, goes your way. And then every once in a while, you'll have this ref that'll be like, handball, I wasn't going to call that and stuff. But that's like really, really rare. So it is, I mean, it's always been part of the game. I guess the thing that, you know, kind of like what you're saying, Yadi, I think maybe we kind of expected VAR to help with it. But I don't think it has. I, and let's face it, it's almost like a slight art, especially for like forwards and stuff like that. And I'm not saying, you know, like talking about going in 
and just clear diving, I think that can be caught. But I mean, what would the punishment be, Paul? I mean, let's say they go back retroactive and it is really hard to kind of tell the ones with contact, right? Because you cannot judge and say, because when somebody's going full speed, sometimes, you know, you can just touch them with a finger and you can kind of throw them off balance. And, you know, that's very hard to judge. I think the one that they will be able to get a hold of would be ones where, it's pretty clearly like nobody even touched you, dude. Like you already started bending your like knees and stuff yeah. going down without even contact. I mean, like, what would you like to see done to kind of like yeah. offset that? So on borderline ones, I'd like to see a yellow, and on ones that are clear dive, I'd like to see a straight red. And that is a super extreme view, but I think that's the only way you get rid of it. Hmm, that is freaking harsh, but yeah, maybe. Maybe we do need tough measures like that to get. But I mean, here's the thing. I mean, if we're taking that rough measures, aren't we pretty much saying it's a lot worse now? Like something has to be done? Well, I think that is the case. So I think that's the problem. I think it is a lot worse. We see it at every level. You see it going down the ranks into youth ranks. You see it in all the major games. You could almost call for a major dive or call in almost every major tournament. We had the Raheem Sterling awarded penalty that led England to, you know, advance. No one knows whether it was a dive or not. It's a 50-50 argument. Was he fouled? Was he not? The own referee that was the guy on site was saying, I wouldn't have given it a penalty on the field. I don't think I'd give it a penalty if I was given a VAR. And two other guys said it was a penalty. So it's so subjective. But I... I actually, again, agree with Paul. I'd make sanctions hard. I think you have to embarrass guys to stop guys from doing things. And I think that is cards and red cards. I think you take away goals. I know it sounds crazy, right? If Harry Kane dives and you take away five goals on his tally, you don't actually take the goals away, right? They count it for Tottenham but he's five less goals away from winning the golden boot. It means a lot to Harry Kane to win the golden boot. Like these things matter to these players. And I don't think enough, they actually think about putting in sanctions that will actually impact these guys instead of just, you know, thinking by talking about it, it will deter them. You have to hit them where it matters, either in stats that will hurt their pay or things that will hurt their pride, because it's really the only two things. Because I think that that's, these young men care about, yeah, other than their That's the thing. I mean, when we talk about, I mean, sometimes we see it in the U.S. sports a lot, like fines, right? And they're so freaking stupid. I mean, especially for like superstars and stuff. It is so freaking stupid. Like, you know, they're like, oh, he got fined like $25,000, which is probably, you know, you and I would be hurting. Uh, but it's probably like a cup of coffee for them. So I don't think that's kind of like a major deterrent to most professional players. The pride thing, I mean, heck, you can take half a goal away from Kane and he'd be crying already. But uh, I mean, right now, it's the deception is a yellow card. But we're talking, so Paul, you're basically talking more like, you know, after the game is done, they go back and say, hey, on this minute, you freaking took a dive, you know, middle of the field. Because it's almost like, who the hell is going to be able to keep track of that? And that's why I feel like there is not a whole lot that can be done aside from the ones that maybe VAR watches for a penalty. Yeah. So I don't like retroactively going back after the game because I think like you have to make the disadvantage live. 
So I think it's almost like, and this is where it gets dicey, right? We would have to have a VAR system that was as efficient as we saw in the Euro, one that was very quick, right? And I think it was something that they would have to look at challenges live during the game because I would want a player like Raheem or any of these guys that are going down in the match to get yellows during the match so that they know that if any sort of reckless challenge, any other you know situation where they go down, um, fraudulently is is going to be a second yellow and a red or a straight red in a situation during the game where there is a clearly fraudulent dive. Um, like I would want it in the match. I wouldn't want it necessarily retroactively. And let's touch on this while we're at it, since you brought freaking Neymar and got on my nerves just by hearing that name. But uh, the, the, em- the embellishment part, which is also, I hate to say it, that I've taught my daughters who play like travel soccer and stuff that sometimes, I mean, because they've been graced with my uh, small stature. Uh, so they get kind of like uh, bullied off the ball a lot more sometimes. And I've kind of like told both Jasmine and Lele in terms of kind of sometimes vocalizing the foul, uh, not just, you know, falling from the push, but kind of vocalizing it as you go down. Because I hate to say it once again, it works 80% of the time. Or ah, so you're responsible for this. I am freaking huh? responsible. All right. I got you. <laughs> I am good, responsible. Good. I'm part of the problem, but <laughs> way, way to bring him up right early. <laughs> yeah. I might be the problem uh, for uh, women's soccer in the U S going forward. But um, I mean, I feel like there is nothing absolute that can be done against it. And I'll be honest, like I'm watching, and I think I mentioned this on a couple of podcasts ago, you know, I did not realize NBA players yelled so much until I watched COVID games from a, like a touch on the wrist or touch on the elbow and stuff like that. So, I mean, this is probably in most sports is happening. And I feel like, like we talk about being able to watch a dive and there is no way in hell to tell how much something hurts and nobody's going to be able to come and say, eh, it didn't hurt that bad. Get up. I mean, other players might, but the ref or an authority is not going to be able to. So I feel like we're stuck with that. Right. Gally. Yeah. I, I, I think at the end of the day, uh, no one has ever watched a professional sporting event, an amateur sporting event, or seen people play a pickup basketball game at a blacktop in a neighborhood and not heard people screaming and complaining about the calls happening around them. I think it just comes with the nature of the competitive action, right? Is that the part that makes them so great is that they're brash and defiant. And then when someone tells them they're wrong, like a call or a play goes against them, it's 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 like they they're just completely inert. Have you do you believe Sadio Mane has ever believed there's ever been a foul against him? Because his facial expression in a match has never shown that he has. Because, you know, it's like Tiago's eyes, right? Like, Tiago's eyes last year were, like, the moment of the season where I realized, like, oh, this is really getting tough for us. It was mid-January. We couldn't string a win together. And Tiago would just get a foul four and a half minutes into a game. And he would just stare at a ref. And some English ref would be like, I could give you a red card right now. Like, you're crazy. Stop yelling at me. Like, and he would just look at him like crazy person. Why? Because they don't believe they've ever done anything wrong. And I think that's part of the hardest part about the game, which makes the embellishment part even more impossible to to police. Because they just don't realize that their antics are out of line in any way. 
or there's no way they would roll around on the ground and someone would walk near them and they'd roll the other way. Yeah, unfortunately, what do you think, Paul? We're stuck with this, right? Did you embellish? See, I'm uh, turning myself in for everything I've done. As a forward, I bet you embellished the hell out of stuff, didn't you? Oh, I just talked for like five minutes about how I embellished it. Of course I did. Like, yeah, I mean, that's 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 what I mean. As long as the, the, the rewards outweigh the risk, right? You're going to do it. I mean, 100%. Like, why wouldn't you, right? Um, I mean, you very rarely see anybody get carded for diving. So, like, of course you're going to do it. Yeah. Hundred percent, and you're. It's a good point about basketball. It's getting it's getting worse in other sports. It's getting worse in basketball. It's it's unique because I think Giannis, you know, she just won a, a title with the Bucks, but I think he's one of the ones that does it a lot, um, as a, especially as a big guy. And I think you see a lot of the Euro guys do it um, in the NBA. Um, and I think that is. Uh, I, I see how it is. Just blame us in Europe. I see how it is. I'm gonna blame the Europeans, yeah, especially the Turks, you know, who all, always do that as well. I mean. They're good for making rugs and for embellishing fouls. That's what they do. Uh, but no, like I think uh, I, I don't. I don't like I said. I, it's not going to go anywhere as long as there's they're not going in and removing that 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 like that that reward without any sort of risk. So like I mean I'm, I'm with Galley. Like I think that there's got to be some sort of like pretty pretty absurd and strict punitive action. And I don't actually find it absurd. You know, I think that like if somebody came in and it was even a borderline situation and they got a yellow, you're not going to see them do it for the rest of the, like if they do it in the first 20 minutes, you got 70 minutes where they're probably going to think twice about going down. Um, like, so, I mean, that's, that's the only way that I can see it go anywhere. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I have no faith in that happening. So in that situation, I think, we're going to see that happening. And as far as Neymar goes, I think Neymar should have to spend the rest of his career where he plays in like, you can't call a follow uh, like he, he, like you can follow the shit out of him in, in no calls on Neymar. Yeah. I would literally like to great. think, you know, get like the listeners feedback on this, you know, what they think of, you know, the diving, especially in terms of like, has it gotten worse and what they would do to kind of like combat it. And what they think of Turkish rugs in general, I guess, which I can't believe you said of all things Turkish. I can't believe you picked rugs. I thought it would be like delights or kebabs or something like that. You, but whatever. See, you guys, I'll take the you guys smoke, you guys smoke a lot of unfiltered cigarettes, which I have a, a huge respect for. I mean, because you're just going straight for the lung cancer without any sort of, without any sort of like shame, which I really respect. I don't know if I'm going to take credit for that or run with that, but yeah, I'll take it for, but if you're Turkish, uh, I'll give, uh, I'll probably drop off Paul's email so you can send the hate mail to Paul directly instead of sending it to American <laughs> Scouts. Or put, put Turkey, put Turkey on the list with Finland and countries are not allowed in anymore. <laughs> Amazing. Well, gentlemen, thanks a lot for joining me this week. Uh, before we meet again next Monday, we'll get to watch the boys take on two preseason games and I know we say this every week, but you never know. Maybe we will have a signing by then. Uh, thanks to all for listening. Uh, drop us a line. Let us know what you think, especially of the diving issue and the Turkish rugs. Have a great week, everybody.